0: Welcome to a new series of Shurim on the Memches Kinyane Torah, the forty-eight attributes uh, that are designated by Chazal as key to acquiring a mastery of Torah. Today's Shi'ur will serve as an introduction to the series and will be followed in subsequent Shurim by discussions of the actual Kinyanim, the specific and different attributes that are quoted by Chazal. And that are associated with the acquisition of Torah knowledge. In the standard editions of Mishnayos, the sixth chapter of Avos is known as Perek Kinyan Torah, the chapter uh, regarding Kinyan Torah, acquiring Torah. And in fact, the sixth chapter is not technically or was not originally part of Avos. Avos originally was a Mishnayos, a mesechtad of Mishnayos in five chapters. And this sixth chapter is actually a collection of Brysos, uh, which at some point became appended uh, to the original five chapters. It's not 100% clear exactly when that happened, uh, but we're pretty sure it goes back at least uh, until uh, Rav Amram Gaon, uh, who in his sitter connects uh, this sixth chapter with the other five. And the reason given in the Siddur of Rav Amram Gaon and others is because there was a minhag already in that day, in that time, to study the chapters of Avos during the six weeks that fall out in between the conclusion of Pesach and the holiday of Shavuos. Since there are six weeks, they needed six chapters of things to study. Now why study anything, let alone Avos, during these six weeks? So apparently it goes back to the idea mentioned by the Sefer HaChinuch and others that the period of the Omer is not just meant to count days uh, connecting one carbon and another, or even one holiday and another, but rather is intended to be a time of spiritual and personal preparation for receiving the Torah, for the Kabbalah Satorah, which we celebrate on Shavuos. And therefore, as a number of the commentaries on Avos, such as, for example, the Chassid Yaivitz, which is a commentary, uh, author was uh, born in Spain and was part of the Spanish expulsion in 1492, as well as the Sefer Medrash Shmuel, which is a very important collection of commentaries on Avos, uh, published and collected by Shmuel, Diuzida, who was a student of the Arizal and lived in the late 16th and early 17th century. So both the Yaivetz and the Medrashmul point out that since Perki Avos predominantly is about character refinement, well, Derech Eretz Kadma la Torah, since character refinement and Gudmidot are a prerequisite for receiving the Torah, for Kabbalah Torah, that's why we study Avos as a natural preparation for Kabbalah Satora for Matan Torah. And therefore, since Avos was originally only five chapters, we needed to add a sixth. And actually, it's really quite uh, perfect uh, and symbiotic, as if the five chapters of Avos are about the Derech then the sixth chapter, the one that's right before the holiday of Shuos is Kinyan Torah, is the one that's about Torah. And in fact, this is the theme of that entire chapter, as it describes all various different um, Attributes and the beauty of Torah and things necessary for Torah and the benefits of Torah. Really quite an inspiring collection of thoughts by Chazal and one of the most, not only beautiful, but most concentrated presentations anywhere in the rabbinic literature that describe the beauty and the various attributes of Torah. I mention all of this because perhaps the most famous component of this entire chapter is the brightest list of 48 attributes which are necessary for this Kenyan Torah, to really acquire and master Torah. And as I said, this series will be going through a number of those specific attributes, uh, but it's worthy of uh, spending some time today to introduce this study, uh, the way in appreciating the way that Chazal themselves introduced the list. Before enumerating the specific attributes, the Brita began... By or begins by comparing Torah to two other points of prestige. Gedola Torah uh, Yoser min Hakuhuna says the Brisa. The Torah is greater than either the priesthood or the monarchy, Kuhuna or Malchus. After all, Malchus be shloshim Maalot that the monarchy is acquired with thirty to the laws of the king, the Mishpar ha-melech, and the king has 30 different uh, benefits that uh, come to him when he becomes king. Va'kahuna, the Brihsa continues, is ba'estrim va'arba. And that's an allusion, of course, to the 24 matnokskuna, the 24 different gifts that a Kohen uh, can uh, be the beneficiary of. However, as the Brihsa concludes, va'arba, excuse me, bahatora, ba'arba'im ushmona d'varim. So unlike uh, the monarchy of 30, and the huna of 24, but Torah is with 48. Now, a number of Mufarshim point out that there is a little bit of a, a lack of synchronicity and an imbalance in the b'rita's uh, list of these three things. After all, um, first of all, the b'rita is going to go on to list the 48 of Torah, it doesn't mention the ones that are referred to um, for the other two, but more than that, as uh, the Yaivetz, who we've previously mentioned, as well as the Maharal and his commentary, Der Chayim, both point out, uh, the Braytah here, even though it uses the term "niknate" is acquired for all three, there seems to be a fundamental distinction. That when it comes to the two, Una and Malchus, uh, it doesn't mean that the monarchy or the priesthood are actually niknate; they are acquired by these enumerated attributes but rather that there are these are the ways that the elevated status of the king and the priest respectively are manifest and demonstrated on the other hand torah when it says these are the ways that they are nicknete it means that literally nicknate that the torah is acquired through these 48 things if we were to perhaps uh, summarize this distinction in uh, a terminology popular in the base medrash, we would say that when it comes to the kahuna and the malchus, uh, the enumerated or the alluded to attributes are a simon. They are a sign of that person's exalted station, the king or the priest. Opposed to when it comes to Torah, the enumerated attributes are not a simon, not a sign, but a siba, a catalyst, a cause itself for their elevated attributes. Uh, a number of commentaries actually go even further with a very striking, fascinating insight. Uh, you can find this in, already in the Or HaChaim in his commentary to the Torah, as well as in the, the letters and writings of people such as the Chazon Ish and Aaron Cutler, who all point out that these 48 attributes which we will be studying are not just beneficial or even recommended, but in fact are the only way to acquire Torah. After all, just like other matters of uh, objects which are subject to acquisition, whether it's uh, movable or real estate, we know in halacha there are laws of kinyanim, And there are certain kinyonim that work for Metaltalin, There are certain kinyonim that work for karka. You have to use the proper uh, kinyon. If one's getting married, there are only specific things that one can do. If one's getting divorced, there are specific things to break the kinyon. There are very specific rules about what kinyon can and can't be used to do things. So too, by using the terminology of kinyon here in our b'rita, Chazal are alluding to the fact that even though perhaps Torah can be learned or knowledge can be obtained, even without the 48 attributes, but to truly own Torah, to be nicknate, to have a kinyon in Torah, a person must possess these 48 traits. Now, as true as I think that is, and as striking as that is, it does not necessarily mean that it's all or nothing. You have the 48 and you can have Torah, and anything less is worthless. Uh, The Sfas Emes, as well as the Chazunish and those... uh, writings that we mentioned previously, all point out that when it comes to Torah, it is not all or nothing, that even possession of some of the attributes we'll be studying enable a person to acquire at least a partial Kenyan in Torah. But obviously, of course, the more the better, and only someone who has and possesses all 48 attributes can truly become a Tamil Chacham, can truly master the entire Torah. Moving on, uh, it's worth noting a second point, which is that the comparison in our of Torah, on the one hand, to Malchus and Kahuna, that is uh, that echoes the earlier uh, Mishnah in Pirkeiavos in Paraknalid, which famously also referred to all three of these, elevated status as Shloshak Tarimheim, the three different crowns, the crown of Kahuna, the crown of Malchus, and the crown of Torah. And yet, if all three of them are compared, it's also, they're also compared in the Gemara, as we will see uh, shortly, in Yuma, and they are compared in Pirkei Avos Perek and they are compared in the Brisa in Avos Perek Vav. So if they're all compared and they all have attributes that make them deserving of royalty, if you will, Kitarim, so why is our Brisa so sure that Torah is greater, the Gedola Torah? In what way is Torah greater? Uh, If anything, one might say that whereas Torah requires great effort and great toil, um, that's the kinyanim, quote unquote, are things you have to do. But Malchus comes with all these prerogatives, the royal prerogatives, all the gifts to the king, and even a Cohen comes with the twenty-four gifts. So what (laughs) Torah doesn't have either anything like either of those two things. So why are we so sure Gidola Torah? So a number of answers can and have be given to this incredibly uh, important question. One uh, goes or can be gleaned uh, from uh, the presentation that I alluded to previously in the Gemara. The Gemara in Yuma, Daf Ayin Bet, also compares all three of these. And interestingly, uh, the Gemara initially says that perhaps the other two Malchus and Kuna are better because they're more exclusive. Not anyone can become a king, and certainly not everyone can become a kohen. In you know, in the world that we live in, exclusivity is often an attribute of superiority. However. Uh, unlike that exclusive phenomenon, when it comes to Torah, the Gemara itself notes, Kalarotza likach yikach. it's not exclusive at all. Anyone can learn. It's accessible to all. So doesn't that show that if anything, Torah is the least uh, of the three, that the other two are superior to Torah because they're more exclusive? So the Gemara itself brings a pasuk uh, from Mishlei uh, to neutralize that. But at best, it seems like, at least in the Gemara, that the three are equal. However, Rashi Actually, notes this phenomenon: the exivity of the other two versus uh, the availability of Torah. And Rashi points out that the universal accessibility of Torah is not only not a deficit, but rather Rashi says so beautifully: "Lakach gadol Torah halalu." It's lakach. It's specifically this very point: the universal accessibility of Torah that itself is the reason for the primacy of Torah even over the monarchy and the priesthood very opposite way i think countercultural if you will uh, from the way we're used to thinking we uh, kind of consciously and even subconsciously assume that exclusivity is a sign of superiority and rashi says just the opposite lakach godel kitshol torah torah's universal accessibility is itself a siman an indication of its superiority that's one answer based on rashi a second answer uh, is suggested by both the Midrash Shmuel as well as the Maharal in his commentary to Avos, the Derachayim. And they point out that one can make a very technical uh, inference from the very fact that the Torah requires 48 kinyonim, whereas the Malchus only 30 and the Kahuna only 24, that in and of itself is an indication of the superiority of the Torah. After all, we are familiar with other areas of our life that the more worthwhile a goal... The more worthwhile a goal, the more effort one must expend to accomplish it. And the more valuable an object is, the more expensive it is to purchase. So the very fact that there is this superiority, the 48 characteristics, that higher number, that's not a result of its superiority. That itself is indicative of the superiority. A third answer uh, is offered by the Sforno. And the Sforno says... Uh, that it's not something more uh, just indicative or uh, that can be indicated or it's not simply a numerical quantitative issue but there's a fundamentally qualitative difference between Torah and the other two. The privileges and the prerogatives, the ma'alot that are quoted in the b'risa of the king and the priest respectively are all, says the Sforno, gashmiot. They're material and they're focused... On the kavod on granting honor to the king or the priest in this very temporary and impermanent world, but Torah, on the other hand, is behefezes, just the opposite. These are prerogatives. These forty-eight virtues separate a person, free a person. I would say, from the material pleasures and worldly honor. On the contrary, the benefits of Torah enable a person to get a lasting reward. Lahak not kavod l'chaye olam, not the temporary chaye shah of the gifts given to the king or the priest, but rather kavod l'chaye olam the permanent everlasting reward that comes with truly dedicating oneself to the most noble and sublime of things, of Torah and spirituality, not being weighed down and distracted by chomriyut and kavod of chayesha, the physicality and the honor that is here today and gone tomorrow in this world. So this is, there are other answers that are given, but these are three different answers that are suggested for the superiority of Torah, Gedolah HaTorah, even more than the Malchus, even more than the Kahuna. Finally, uh, a last point as far as our introduction, and that is that already the Maharal, and others after him, have suggested that the 48 Kinyane torah correspond to the 49 days of the Omer. In other words, not only is there a natural relationship between Ovot slash Kinyan Torah, the six chapters, and the six weeks preceding Shavuot, but this relationship is further highlighted by focusing specifically on the Brisa's list of attributes. And it's not just weeks, but when it comes to the days, the days leading up to Matan Torah overlap with the number of specific attributes listed and enumerated in our b'risa. In fact, the students of of Yisrael Salanter, the great Musr master and his earliest students who who themselves were great giants in their own right, these students of Yisrael Salanter actually put this insight into action as it were. And it is reported that they would spend each day of the Omer period working on another one, a different one of the Kinyanim, so that all of the traits would truly be acquired and mastered in time for Shavuos and the situation of Matan Torah. This very nice, beautiful, moving insight, of course, is beset by one obvious problem. We are missing a day. There are 49 days of the Omer, but only 48 tributes in our Brisa. How can we explain and understand this discrepancy? So a number of answers are given, and we will review uh, four of them. And hopefully this will conclude uh, our study, our introductory study of this week. A first answer I'd like to share is offered by the Chedusha Harim, the founding Ger Rebbe. And he suggests that even though we come up one day short, we finish the 48 attributes and we're still one day shy of Shavuos, he says, but the purpose of that is not an accident, but the purpose is very deliberate. And that is that we use the final day for review, for chazorah, to review and to reinforce all of these characteristics. And this is a very, very important lesson, I think, that all of us who study Torah, I think it's common and really natural that most of us find covering new ground. Uh, new material, more exciting than reviewing things that we've already learned. However, I think uh, most of us know, and certainly as we get older and our memory naturally is perhaps not what it once was, but even when we were younger, we all know that without proper review, without sufficient chazara, uh, even the people with the best of memories, let alone the rest of us, uh, often the details that we've learned, even some of the basic principles, let alone the details, can become fuzzy and foggy and we can really lose mastery and lose, you know, we don't necessarily hold on to what we once learned. And therefore, you know, objectively we all know, even if it's hard to do, but we all know the importance of chazara, or reviewing the material that we've learned. So it's in this vein that the this is not just supposed to be a six-week exercise, do these, uh, learn these attributes and, you know, away we go. But rather, it's supposed to truly change us as we prepare for Matan Torah. And in order for us to really, truly uh, internalize, not just have these go in one ear and out the other, but truly internalize them, says Hadush we have to use that extra day to review. A second answer is given uh, by one of the early Musar masters, the Altar of Kelim. And he suggests something similar but slightly different. And he maintains that we leave this last day, the 49th day, not just to review, but to go one step further, to integrate all of the various characteristics into a harmonious whole. In other words, all 48 of these attributes, as we will uh, study in the coming weeks, each of them is important, but each of them is a little different than the one before or the one after it. And therefore, uh, take you know, individually, we can kind of be pulled in 48 different directions. They're all good, but we could kind of get pulled in a way that might make the whole less than the sum of its parts. Therefore, says the author of Kelm, so insightfully, in fact, what we need to do is spend a day not only reviewing, but thinking about how to harmonize all of the different attributes into a balanced way, so that we can become not only a balanced, but through our balance, a spiritually potent personality. It's not enough to just have these 48 things inside of us, even if we can, in a certain sense, acquire them and internalize them. But if we don't figure out a way how to make them work with each other in proper balance and proportion, then we won't really have everything Chazal have in mind for us with this inspiring list. To be truly worthy of the Keter Torah, of the crown of Torah, is not enough to just study or even internalize the 48. We have to figure out the proper balance and the way to integrate them into our harmonious whole. That is a second idea of the Altar of Kelm. A third idea uh, I found, and I thought very, very uh, interestingly, uh, suggested in a more recent presentation of the great uh, contemporary uh, Posek, uh, and Tamir Chacham, Rav Asher Weiss. He suggests uh, something very intriguing and also worthy of our contemplation. He says what we need the final day for so that we can daven to Hashem, we can pray for our success in this spiritual endeavor. In other words, what Rav Asher Weiss is calling our attention to is the age-old issue of the need for both hishtadlut, Personal effort, and bitachon, acknowledgement that for all of our hachshavot, we need God's blessing and God's providence in order for us to be successful. What is intriguing is that to the extent that we think about, and I hope uh, can live a life, you know, balanced by both of these uh, twin values. We generally, you know, think of this almost exclusively. I would say, in the material realm, right? It's not enough to just daven or learn. That's not going to put food on the table. But rather, we need ishtadlus. We need to go work. We need to get educated. We need to actually put in the effort to get a job and to work hard at our job. And then we also daven that Hashem should bless our efforts, that we should be successful. Uh, if we're all, if we're honest, we know that whatever level of success we've achieved, it's just, it's. It's not only perhaps religiously inappropriate, it's actually just not honest to think that it's all exclusively based on our own talents or hard work. Uh, It doesn't take much effort to look around and to see people at various stages of our life who are just as talented and just as smart and just work just as hard as us who may have had uh, less success than us and, you know, maybe painful as it is, we can it's certainly true in the opposite. There are times where people are more successful, even though we feel that we're just as talented or work just as hard. And the lesson to be gleaned from both of those realities is that Hishnatlos is important, but at the end of the day, bitachon and Hashkach the idea that in the end Hashem decides and Hashem blesses one's efforts, more or less, that in the end is what's going to determine the day and this is a very important life lesson in general, a very core value of Judaism, but what Rav Weiss is pointing out is that this is not only true, it's not merely true when it comes to our material and financial life, but rather even in our spiritual life, it is important to work hard and to do the mitzvos and to put in the effort to study Torah and to do chesed and all the different mitzvos and to work on our personality and our benam la'atzmo and our midos, etc. But then after we've put in the effort We ask Hashem, please bless those efforts so that, let's say, when it comes to Torah, we can put in the effort. But that's not a guarantee of success, of understanding the material, of mastering the material, of remembering the material. Even after we put in all of our efforts, we still need to daven, since Rav Ashwa Weiss, that our efforts will be successful. The truth is that uh, this is already an idea in the Gemara, in Masech Nida, in which uh, the discussion there is... uh, You know, people ask, you know, how can they be successful in learning? How could they acquire great amounts of Torah? Well, after they're originally told, hard work and single-minded dedication and focus. And then, what about then? It still doesn't happen? It still doesn't happen? And the Gemara says, well, if you've done all that, you've put in the Heshtadlus, Then you need to daven it. Then you need to ask for mercy, for divine mercy and compassion, for blessing from above, from the one from whom the Torah and all wisdom Emanates. So this idea of the need for tefillah to um, buttress our efforts, even in a spiritual realm, as I say, is already in a Gemara. And Asher Weiss very beautifully applies it to the 49th final and extra or missing day. Just to turn our attention uh, finally, uh, it's possible that the, quote, missing day is not the last day, the 49th, but perhaps the first The maral, in a somewhat obscure uh, source, actually suggests that perhaps it's that first day which we need to daven, but we daven here, says the maral, totally out of the blue. He says not for spiritual, but he says we need to first daven for material success. That's day one. And only afterwards we can use the other 48 days to study the specific attributes. After all, he says, as Avos itself teaches us, im ein kamach, and Torah, if we don't have material, uh, basic, minimal, material needs taken care of, then no matter how much we want to study Torah, we will simply be preoccupied and distracted by our desperate need to earn a living, to put food on the table for ourselves and our family. You don't have to have the most uh, materialistic or let alone hedonistic desires for physical wealth and material success, but... That's obviously not uh, what Chazal would consider an ideal for a religious person, but nevertheless, Chazal were realistic. They understood uh, the way of the world and human nature. We need a certain basic, a minimum amount of material success. in kemach in Torah. So the Maral in one place says the first day is to daven for the kemach. Then we have the forty-eight days to work on the Torah. Uh, fifth and finally, I'd like to suggest, uh, I think my own uh, pshat. Um, And that may be as follows that, perhaps as well, the first day is the extra day. Uh, But I would suggest the purpose of the first day is so that we can take a moment to take stock of what it is we're about to start doing. We have to use that first day to truly appreciate how beautiful, how special, how necessary, and how valuable Torah is to our life. If we don't first appreciate the value of Torah... We will not be able to make a kinyon on it, even if we internalize all 48 of the attributes that will be enumerated. Uh, the basis for this idea, interestingly, is a parallel in the laws of Dini Mamonos and Choshen Mishmat. There is a famous passage in the Hagos Ashri, which is actually quoted la Halacha by the Ramon Choshen Mishmat, that if a person uh, buys a piece of metal or lead, and he pays whatever the price, the going market price would be, and then after selling it to a second person, he finds out that actually the whole time it was silver. And therefore he wants to undo the sale or at least get paid uh, the differential uh, for what it was truly uh, should have cost, because after all, it wasn't metal or lead, but it was actually silver. So the ashri paskins that he actually has no right to that extra money whatsoever. Because, says the ashri you only own an item to the extent to the degree that you are aware of and appreciate its value. Since this person only thought he had metal, then he only owned metal. I was really silver, but he only owned the value of the metal, not of the silver. A very fascinating psaac, which as I say, is mentioned in Shulchan Aruch as a practical halacha. But if that is true, then I think by analogy, it's true in our circumstance as well. It can be argued that even if you uh, learn a lot of Torah, but if you want to make a kinyon on Torah to truly own, if you will, master the Torah, a kinyon is only effective to the extent that you appreciate the value of the Torah. Even if a person would go through the whole process and acquire all 48 of the traits, but if a person would think that Torah is merely metal, if we don't appreciate the true beauty and value and luster of Torah, then that will fundamentally limit and compromise our acquisition. It's therefore, perhaps, we can suggest, crucially important that first we spend a day contemplating the true and ultimate value of Torah, and only after we realize that it's really silver, then we start the process of studying the forty-eight kinyanim of making the actual kinyan. So, in conclusion, we've seen a number of ideas here as an introduction to our study of the Men Kinyon Torah. We reviewed the history of where the idea of Perk as a study in between Pesach and Shavuos comes from. That required a sixth chapter. This chapter of Brysos are about the beauty of Torah. And the highlight of this chapter, the sixth chapter in Avos, is this famous Braisel listing the 48 attributes, which are superior to the attributes that are associated with the king, for the Kohain, we've seen different reasons why the Torah is considered superior uh, to the other two. And we also saw um, different reasons why these 48 ways correspond specifically to the 49 days of the Omer. And we finally listed a number of interpretations for what might be the reason for or the purpose of the missing day, as it were, whether it's the first day or the last day of the Omer, that 49th, as opposed to the 48 attributes, and we shared a number of different interpretations for what that extra day can do to contribute to our truly internalizing and understanding the 48 attributes, which will hopefully lead us all to making our own personal Kinyan Torah.